Welcome back, everybody, and thanks for joining us again on the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Hard to believe, but here we are at episode number 20, three weeks in. And uh, to uh, mark this momentous occasion of 20 episodes, we have a special guest with us today. We have the Wharf Sports Cards joining us. And uh, it's a little longer than our usual uh, pick format. And it has to be a little longer today because the Wharfs has so much to discuss with us. We're going to touch on everything from um, alternate methods of buying and selling your cards uh, instead of just going to eBay. The Wharf has his own platform and system, which is real easy to use, and we'll get into that later. And everything from that to uh, the recent hot streak of Michael Porter Jr. and how, of all people, uh, our guest today, Wharf Sports Cards, saw it coming and why. Um, so, just like to say thank you, welcome to our guest, and thanks to all of you listeners for uh, riding along with us now for three weeks and 20 episodes. Thanks. Welcome back. We have another episode of uh, Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze Oh My podcast. It is a momentous occasion for us today. It is episode number 20, the big 2-0, and we are rolling out the red carpet for a special guest with us today. Um, we have, I mean, I think this is now, so it's probably three weeks, and we've got 20 episodes out there. I'm, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, when Andrew convinced me to do this, and he had to pay me a lot of money to do it, but when he convinced me to do this, I didn't think we'd get past like episode three, but look, here we are three weeks later. We're at episode 20 with the listener count crazy. Um, I checked this morning and just even more. And I sent out a freebie to somebody this morning as well. You guys, you know, you're out there, you know, you comment, you know, tell us how we're doing, tell us what you think. And, you know, before you know it, I'm, uh, I'm messaging you and telling you, I just, here's a tracking number and send out a gift. So I mentioned a special guest. We got the Wharf Sports Cards. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have seen him on Instagram. I'm going to shut up in a second here and let him give all of his handles, all of his uh, Instagram information, you name it, the whole deal. Um, we're going to talk to him about a bunch of stuff. The guy's a wealth of knowledge. But one of the cool things he brings to the hobby, and I'm going to utilize it myself, I'm going to call it an eBay alternative, but it's an eBay alternative on steroids, right? I've been on eBay since 1998. And I was, you know, I was just mentioning to these guys, you know, the first couple of things I sold Beanie Babies on eBay. And, you know, to get paid, someone had to mail me a check or a money order. I have to wait for a check to clear or the money order to go into the bank and then send it out and package it up, you name it. It was just a different thing. But one of the things about eBay, they're always changing, right? And one of the things they're changing now is, you know, how they track payments, how they take payments, you know, just the the the, 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 the amount that they charge. It's just, it's, it's constantly changing and it's never getting easier for sellers like myself. One of the things, I haven't seen too many people doing this, but one of the things that Worf is going to talk to you about here is, a consignment page. You send your cards over to him and he does like a sale in his stories. And I've seen them. And I mean, some of the prices are great. I think, you know, you work it out with him, he'll go through the details, but it's a way to sell where you're not giving eBay such a big chunk of your, your sale. Uh, so the buyer gets a card at a better price. The seller gets it and he provides a service because he's got a ton of followers who are seeing all these sales and he's got some great, you know, success on it. So I'll shut up there. We're going to talk about other things other than that, but it's just a cool model that I kind of want to get into because it's something I had never seen before his page. So go ahead, Nick, introduce yourself and tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah. Thank you, Cage and Andrew for having me on the podcast. Um, you know, I was talking to you guys earlier. You guys have a great thing going here. Great dynamic. Um, I love listening to you guys. It's one of those, one of those podcasts that you can just pop into. Um, it's, it's quick. I love your quick episodes. You don't have to set aside an hour to listen to a, to a podcast. You can listen to five, six episodes in an hour. Um, so I love that. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be on here. It's good to have you. And I think the real benefit, uh, you know, to sum up is you help buyers and sellers make deals. 
I, I think you help both parties and you make things really simple. Tell us a story about how Wharf Sports Cards started. Yeah, so I told I told you this story, Andrew, and there's maybe maybe a handful of people that know this story. I don't even know if that's if there's five. Um, well, I hope it's all right with that that's going to change because yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> pretty soon you know, a lot of people are going to know. <laughs> it's a it's a cool story, so I'm happy to share it. Um, it's something that is very uh, personal to me and very important and valuable to me. Um, but so the Wharf, so. Um, my dad, he he passed away when I was two, uh, right before I turned two years old. Um, so I was raised by a, a single mom, four kids. Um, you know, we we had our had our ups and downs, but um, you know, didn't have my dad around because of that. And, and he was somebody that I always heard stories about. Um, people loved him. He, he was one of those people that that people just loved being around and respected and appreciated. So he was he was always my hero. Um, even even when he wasn't there, um, so he was a business owner. Um, when he died, he owned a a monument company. So so he made monuments for uh, for gravestones and uh, you know stuff like that in Iowa. And so he was a business owner. He had a lot of ambition. He, he did that at the time, but he had bigger dreams and bigger ambitions. And I always wanted to be like him. So to kind of fast forward um i got into cards i knew at some point it was going to become a full-time time thing i've been working towards that mm -hmm. for a couple of years and, and i got to that point and it's kind of crazy timing i had my daughter 17 months ago on my birthday um, yeah yeah so that was pretty cool on my birthday and my mom came that weekend after to, to see her and everything she she lives five hours away so it's a whole weekend trip and we, we got into a storage unit that my mom had had for for, for years and got in there and needed to be cleaned out. And the first thing I saw when I got in there was this sign. It was a wooden sign and it said the wharf. And I said, what's that sign from? I've never, I've never seen this sign. And she said, well, that, your dad made that. Your dad made that sign. He always wanted to open a restaurant. He wanted to call it the wharf. Um, they, they, they frequented this lake um, close to us and he wanted to open up this restaurant called the wharf. And that was the sign he was going to hang in the restaurant. Uh, so when I saw that sign, I said, that's, that's it. That's what we're going with for, Whatever business I start, it's going to be called the Wharf something. Um, and that sign is, I should have had it out for you. It's in the, like I said, we just moved a few days ago, so it's, it's tucked away. But um, th that sign became the inspiration for my business. It became the inspiration for my logo. And my dad's always been my inspiration for, for everything that I've done. I love that, Nick. Um, I love That's that very much. And when we met, you know, well, a few months ago, what struck me was your sincerity, your understanding for the market, and your passion to help people. And then I found out you're actually a teacher and you used to be a coach. And, you know, this goes right in line. Uh, a few days ago, I gave people a play to catch the trend of Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Cage gave me a little bit of banter that day. Uh, and I convinced Just that day? I, I give you banter every day. This is, I, this is what makes this work. Then I convinced him. But fun fact, I think we should kick off with this. You used to coach Michael Porter Jr. for two years in high school. What was that experience like? I did, man. I coached him. Uh, so this would have been his sophomore and junior year in high school in good old Columbia, Missouri, I think 2014 through 2016. So Columbia, Missouri, if you guys have never heard of it, that's where University of Missouri is. But we came in and my, my best friend actually got the head coaching job. Um, and he knew I had wanted to get into coaching, but I was kind of waiting for the right opportunity. Um, I was pursuing my master's in education, so I was looking for a school to go to as well. And he said, we got to have you on the staff. And I didn't know anything about the team. I didn't know anything about the roster. 
I just knew him and, and one of my best friends. And I said, let's do it. I, I want to do it. You, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. We got to talking and he says, you know, we, we have a pretty, pretty good player. And I'm like, okay, you know, we got you know, a good high school player, a good small high school player. What, what are we talking about? And he said, well, he's, he's one of the best players in the country. And I said, okay, according to who, you know? Um, so I'm skeptical. Um, he tells me more about him. At that time, believe it or not, it was only six years ago, YouTube wasn't what it is now. I, I tried to find him, couldn't find anything on him. I mean, you, you, you go look up any high school player now and he's got 100 videos if he's, if he's a top 500 player in the nation. So I couldn't find anything on him, but I show up to this first open gym in the summer and there's this six nine sophomore just draining threes from ten feet behind the half court or behind the uh, three point line, repping them out. You know, catch swish, pass back, catch swish, and uh, it didn't take me long to realize that he probably was the best player in the country. But that experience was it was amazing, man. Um, I came in with with no coaching experience, um, but I learned so much from coaching a kid like that. And don't forget his brother Jante was a freshman at the time and Jonte is, is with the Memphis Grizzlies now had a had a good first season at Mizzou and then for his ACL his sophomore year he would have been a top he would have been a lottery pick himself had he not had those injuries so we had you know Michael and Jonte for a few years there uh, won a state championship played against a lot of NBA talent a lot of elite level talent um, I don't know how many people know this but Jason Tatum was from St. Louis about two hours away from Columbia so for 2014 and 2015, Missouri had the number one player in the nation for those two classes. It would have been 2017 for Tatum and 2000, or, or 2017 for Michael and 2016 for Tatum. They were the number one player in the high school, in high school in the country, both from Missouri. Um, and, and everywhere we played, Tatum was playing. We went to a lot of national shootouts, tournaments, um, saw guys like the Ball Brothers. We, um, we didn't get to play Chino Hills, but we were in the same tournament as them. Um, Van Metabio. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a crazy experience. So a, a story, there, there's a lot of stories, but one I like to kind of tell is, is kind of how he burst onto the scene. And it was a sophomore year. We were at a holiday tournament in Jefferson City, um, which is the capital of Missouri. It's about 30 minutes from Columbia. Um, I'm a pop quiz you guys. If, if you can answer this question, uh, I'm going to pull a cage and send you guys something. Nice. But what, what NBA player right now went to high school and played in Jefferson City, Missouri? OG Ananobi. Oh, I would have never got that. Okay, so OG Ananobi. Um, so again, he was in Jason Tatum's class. 2016 you got three guys within an hour and a half two hours of each other all, all playing in the NBA all starting on playoff caliber teams right now all playing in, in the same area at the same time in middle Missouri um, but we were at Jefferson City Missouri at the holiday tournament it was a third place game we went to this tournament and we were favored to win and we got upset in the semifinals nobody wanted to play in this third place game we, we, we didn't come there to get third place so so the vibe in the gym was kind of just blah, you know, not a lot of fans. It was a day game on like a Monday. Um, and, and, and it's the third quarter and it's a, it's a close game. And, and Michael gets a rebound. And it, and it was like the sea just parted. He took one hard dribble 
And I think three dribbles later, he was at the free throw line, our free throw line, elevating towards the rim. And everybody naturally stood up like, what is he doing? What's happening? And he took off from one step in the free throw line and just dunked it on, it seemed like everybody in the gym. I mean, there were six <laughs> guys standing right there. Everybody went berserk. I mean, we didn't, we didn't know how to react, but it, it ended up becoming the number one play on ESPN's top plays. And at that time, you never saw high school kids on ESPN top plays. It was the first time I had ever seen it. He was the number one play. It was this grainy cell phone video. We didn't even video the game. That's how, that's how not into that game we were. We didn't even film it ourselves. Um, so there's just this one cell phone video of the, of the uh, dunk from the free throw line. And, and ever since then, things just blew up. I mean, he, he had millions of followers on all his social media. Our, our games were, they were already packed. But at that time, I was the head JV coach, and we would play before varsity. And by the time we warmed up for JV games, there was no seat in any gym ever. By the time we showed up, like we'd show up two, three hours before the JV game, there's people waiting in line trying to get in the games. I mean, it's, it was a crazy atmosphere um, to be around. It's something I'll never forget, but um, learned a lot of things in those, in those two years. And, and I, can, I can say confidently that he taught me a lot more than I probably taught him. And I'm thankful for those years. See, was, Andrew, you know what he just did? He convinced me about Michael Porter Jr. That's what I was asking you to do. Oh, okay, okay. The free throw line? <laughs> Cage, listen, Cage, you you haven't been convinced yet. You'll be convinced here soon. Once we get into the why you should buy a Michael Porter Jr. segment, you'll be convinced. So well, what where, was, yeah, what was surprising about the dunk? Like, have you not seen him do that in, in, in oh, practice? He was a kid dunking from the free throw line. He's not Michael Jordan, you know. It's well, just, right, and it was, for one, and, and I, you can probably look up the video. Like I said, it's this grainy cell phone video. It's choppy. It's hard to see. Um, it doesn't really capture the, the – the moment uh, um, as if you were there but it was just unexpected and, and yeah we had seen that stuff in practice I mean the stuff we saw him do in practice was stuff you've never you've never seen a game um, but to see it in a game a live game the way it happened was just it was crazy no I mean listen I'm ready to jump right into the uh, why, why should I buy Michael Porter but here's the fun okay. I'll give you a lead in right so we'll, we'll lead you into it right so so I don't just put my money in like the next best thing. You know, I don't put my money, I don't invest in because everybody says he's going to be great. You know, oh, Zion's the next best thing and I'm going to put my money in him. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit and I've, talked, I've, I've alluded to it. He's never been my pick per se for any of our episodes, but I am a huge fan of Devontae Graham. I'm a character guy. And I, I actually like that somebody went to college for four years and graduated. I like him talking about his mom holding her up on mother's day and you know being a character guy i do and for me i'd love to i'd love to put my money in somebody like that because i think somebody like that's gonna have a work ethic and i think it's not an accident so you want to convince me about michael porter jr you seem to know him i'd love to hear some of that stuff all right are you ready for this get comfortable. i'm ready get all comfortable. Right. <laughs> first off i want to say you know we touched on this before but i'm a big jayhawk fan so i love the Devonte graham um admiration i'm with you he's he's one of those guys that like I told you before, if the Hornets figure it out, people are going to want to root for Devontae Graham. So I love that. I love that pick. Um, but let's touch on Michael Porter Jr. All right. So I listened to the podcast was it yesterday or the day before that you guys talked about him. Yep. I think two days ago. Pick. When he had his um, first good game and then he had another good one right after. Right, right after. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to throw some stuff at you. All right. So first, I know one of the big concerns, not, not just with you, but with everybody is the injury. Right. So let me give you some history on this injury first. Okay, so he actually did this. He, he, 
the whole thing happened in an AAU practice in between his sophomore and junior year of high school. That was the first time he tweaked it. And he played his junior year and his senior year with this injury. All right. I don't, I don't know if you guys remember, but his junior year, he won the state championship with us. Averaged 35 and 12. Um, played about 25 minutes a game because we were blowing everybody out. And then he transferred to Nathan Hale in Seattle and played for Brandon Roy. Um, they were undefeated. They played a national schedule. They played teams like Oak Hill, all, all the big high school teams. And he went on to win Gatorade Player of the Year and Naismith Player of the Year. And, and people don't know this, but he had that injury. All right. And this, he, if he would have taken care of it before college, it, people would have never known that it was a thing. But he didn't. He played through it. Um, and, and then he got to college. So before you go on, basically what you're telling me is it's Brandon Roy's fault. Yeah, so there's. I don't know if you want. I don't know if you want to call that a coincidence or not, but <laughs> but uh, he did play for Brandon Roy his senior year at Nathan Hale, and we all know Brandon Roy's history, and and, and he was one of those guys that could have been an all-time great if he didn't have. Brandon Roy was amazing. Let's be clear, he was an unbelievable player. Injuries happen, uh, but yeah. Mm -hmm. so Andrew, Andrew, you're a Kobe guy, and there's a Kobe quote out there. I see it all the time. Who, who's the best player in the league? And, and this is when Brandon Roy was active, and Kobe said, Brandon Roy, 365 days a year. Yeah. You know, 24 hours a day, whatever. Tough cover, really tough cover, a lot of offensive yeah. weapons. Yeah, so so he had that experience. Um, but then he went to Mizzou, so he came back to Columbia where we were, and I was still coaching at the time. Um, and he, and he, the, the injury was nagging, and I think he had tweaked it more in a workout session, uh, like a weight room session maybe. Um, and, and they were warming up for that first game, and he, he said it was just locking up. Like, he couldn't, he couldn't like, bend, and he was locking up. Um, so that was kind of the tipping point. And we all know what happened there. Um, but he, he tried to come back at the end. He was probably maybe 60% healthy. Um, the team had a chance to make some noise in the SEC tournament. He, he thought he could help him out, so he came back. And, you know, he didn't look like himself at all. But I think people still kind of judged him for that performance without knowing the whole the whole picture of what was going on um but but we we all know the history of the injury he didn't come back from this year but but one thing i want to point out if you guys don't follow the sport card it's either sports card i think it's the sports card pt um his name is chris he's a physical therapist but he he, he does sports cards um i sent you to the link before this um but he dives into player injuries and his perspective as a physical therapist on, on how serious the injury is and what you should consider with that injury short-term and long-term. And then he even talks about would, would you and would he invest in them knowing what he knows about their injury. And he wrote up something on Michael Porter Jr. and basically said it's a, it is a minimally invasive um, surgery, even though people hear back surgery and they freak out naturally. Um, it wasn't a, a super invasive surgery. It's, it's something that NBA players and pro athletes have had and come back from and been successful and had long careers. Um, so I think his ultimate conclusion was he's not concerned. It, it, it's one of those things that, sure, it, it could cause, it could become something, maybe if he, if he injures it again, but it's not going to be the cause of something. Um, it, it, it's a long-term thing that should be taken care of. Um, he had that summer league knee tweak, but 
if you guys if you guys watch Denver, which which I watch Denver more than anybody now because of them, they're they're super cautious with their injuries. If, if there's any question, if if a kid stubbed his toe before the game, he's not going to play um, because they have the depth to afford being patient with injuries. So so that knee thing in the summer was just it wasn't worth it for them to play him in in, in meaningless summer games um, and, and not have him for the regular season if something happened. So long story short, that. I'm not concerned about the injury. Um, I can see why people were, but it's one of those things, like if he comes next year and has a full year, he plays 30 minutes a game and, and doesn't have any major injuries, and I I don't consider, you know, a, a, a twisted ankle or whatever a major injury, um, people are going to start to forget about the back then. Yep. Um, it, it's, just, it's just so, so it, it only happened a year ago that people, people still remember it, and I get that. Um, but long term, I don't think it's as big of a concern as people are making it out to be. Um, <clears throat> so there's that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cage, what do, what do you think about the injury stuff that I just talked about? What? So what I'll ask you a question, right? Maybe I'll, send, I'll, send, I'll send you a freebie if you get this right, right? Okay. So, and remember, I'm I'm always leading with my questions, right? Okay. So MPJ came back, right? And came back, oh, you know, season taking off, rehabbing, back knee, ankle, toe year whatever it is that he hurt this week um and he recorded 30 point 10 rebound efforts in back-to-back games right when he did that as a as a rookie last right so uh 30 10 you know who the last person to do that was as a rookie when he did it as a rookie Shaquille O'Neal nope oh no 2011 2011 hold on hold on give me a second I know this answer my guess is Oscar Robertson. But I, no. I ask that on purpose. You want to know why I ask on purpose? Because there's a, the person who did it as a rookie with the back-to-back 30-10 games also came back after some injuries. And, and uh, I think people had some significant hype on him as well. And he was going to be the next big thing. And injuries kind of slow him down. But he actually had significant potential. You have to be great to put up back-to-back 30-10s as a rookie. A guy by the name of Blake Griffin. Reason, that's what I think of when I yeah. think of Michael Porter Jr. And it's all the promise in the world, all the promise in the world, and just can't do it for a tenure, can't do it for a long term. There's always going to be something. And, you know, you're right, the back injury. I mean, I read, I read up on it, too, because, you know, Andrew told me you coached him. I'm like, uh-oh, we're going to have a Porter Jr. homer here. Let me make sure. And you're right, the back is – if it was the back alone, I probably wouldn't, uh, I probably wouldn't be too crazy. But – Six nine. I'm not six nine. I'm six one, right? And I am an elite athlete. And when nagging injuries are there, I can't. I can't perform. I can't perform at the elite level of my when I when I vacuum my pool at an elite level when my back is kind of acting <laughs> up, you know. So, but when you're six nine, man, you know everything's. You're six nine, and you're jumping up and down, and you're playing basketball. You're running up and down the court. You know, we talk about a nagging injury. You know, your your physical therapist friend, and we'll you know I'll look him up. We'll get his right name. Make sure everybody. You the know, the sports card PT really okay. good. Really good. <laughs> he's a great follow. He's a great follow. So he's probably giving some really good advice about like you, me. It's not invasive to me. You, it's not. I'm not doing what Michael Porter is asked to do on a nightly basis as an elite athlete. And you know what's a what's an injury that I can get on a train and go to work and sit through my day, and it's a naggy injury. These guys. You know, it's hard enough to be the elite performer that they are. 
know, top of the world, 1%, you know, one-tenth of a hundredth percent, whatever it is to become a professional athlete. And then though, you have to be in like optimal shape to perform at the level you are. And if you have the ankle and the knee and it just, so I could be wrong. And I've been wrong many, many times in my life, but just the history here is it's always something. That's all. It's not just the back, it, you know. I get it. And, 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 and I'm not saying you shouldn't have any concern. You know, there's risk with every, if, if you're look at it, looking at it from an investment perspective, there's risk with every investment. I think that's obviously the biggest risk with him is kind of the unknown future with the injury. Yep. Um, but it can happen to anybody too. It's not just him. I mean, exactly. Andrew told me the other day, he's like, oh, I watch a game with Grizzlies. Oh man, that Jaron Jackson Jr. is fantastic. Uh, he's, yeah. he's, so, he's so good. He's, he's, he's going to be the best big man in the league. And literally... <laughs> You know, within 12 hours, mush over here. We should have thrown him in the bathroom with coffee cakes. The guy is, is he got a serious injury. It's horrible. Okay. Listen, I don't want, so Andrew, I don't want you to, I don't want you to jump in on MPJ then. That's what happened with Jaron Jackson Jr. I don't want it you to jump in on MPJ. All right. Stay, stay out of this one. <laughs> What's amazing, guys, is I don't need to defend myself. It's all in record. Jaron <laughs> Jackson Jr. is 20 years old. So I asked Cage how old he thought he was. He's 25 years old, as Cage has guessed. Yeah, 25. I have no idea. He's, he's young. Yeah. Uh, he can shoot the three. Uh, that's all I said. I think he's an impressive talent. I yeah. said he's going to be the best big man in the league. And the next thing you know, he's, he's, he's limping. Let me touch on – It's a tiny injury. Let me touch on Michael with Blake Griffin. All right. The, the biggest difference there, and it's funny because Blake Griffin is my Zion comparison. Um, I, I think Zion and Blake Griffin are similar type of players. Um, but – but Griffin had knee problems. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, the knee issues, in, in, especially in basketball, are, are much bigger short and long term than, than Michael's back issue. Um, but like I said, it, it's something you have to monitor. It, it, if you're not and you're just blindly investing in him, um, thinking that there's never going to be an issue with the back or not, not, at least not taking it into consideration, then you're doing it wrong. Um, but I think it's – I think there's a middle ground of where people have blown it out of proportion and then people that don't think it's an issue at all. I think, I think there's more of a middle ground than what we've seen. Um, but yeah, you're right. We need to see a full season of consecutive 30 plus minute games and him still producing at that level. I, I, I'm with you there. What do you think of his work ethic? So that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of the knocks on him as far as his game are, you know, obviously he has defensive issues. But to me, and, and I, I've seen this his whole career, um, and I don't, want, I don't want this to come off as, as who he is because I don't think it's who he is, but he's been so good and so talented his whole career and head and shoulders better than everybody he's ever played against uh, up until now that he hasn't had to play his hardest to be elite. Um, so I think he might – I think he's figuring that out now. And, and and when you see him play hard, like that Miami game, he didn't play hard. And Coach Malone ripped him. He ripped the whole team for their effort. I mean, that was an effort loss. They just looked like they didn't care. Um, but but then you saw how, how MPJ responded to that. Um, and I think a lot of his defensive issues are effort. Um, but his work ethic is there. Like in high school, I mean, I had never been exposed to a – 15, 16 year old kid with that type of work ethic. I mean, I would show up to the gym an hour, at least an hour before practice, at least every day. 
and he was there. He was there. He was shooting. His friend, his buddies would show up. You know, the other teammates, um, all good friends, and and they do the typical, you know, chucking up half court shots. And he's over there at a hoop by himself, working on his his dribbling, working on his form shooting. I mean, this is a 15 year old kid with this type of work ethic. Practice would be done, and he would go to the gym with his dad to get in individual workouts. Um, actually coached girls golf for a year there. I don't, don't, don't even ask me about that. I don't know how that, how that came about. Um, but we had a tournament. We were leaving for a tournament and I had to show up to the school at five 30 to get ready for this tournament. And Michael was in the gym with Dante and his dad working out on a Tuesday before school. I mean, the work ethic is there. It's he, he, I've never seen it in anybody else in any profession personally firsthand. He wants to be great. He's going to do whatever he has to do to be great. There's going to be head bumps along the way where he might think he knows more than somebody, whether it's a coach or another player or whatever. But he wants to be great so bad that he's going to get past that. And and, and that's something that I think you have to be patient with. You know, it, it's an adjustment. A lot of people don't remember. He's essentially making the jump from high school to the NBA. Like, we can't really count his college career. All of these other rookies had college experience. They had that 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 transition period where they weren't the best player. They they weren't the only relevant player on the team. They go to Michigan State and there's five All Americans. They go to Duke and there's seven All Americans. And they're playing for a coach that's won five national championships and doesn't care if he sits you on the bench. Michael didn't have that experience. Um, he's he's getting that now. He's going through that now. Um, and, and, and it's been frustrating at times to watch because I think Coach Malone has him on a short leash most of the time. And it's frustrating to watch because I know, Andrew, I told you this after that first 30-point game. Andrew asked me, what do you think of that performance? And I said, this is what you can expect when he doesn't have a leash. When right. he knows that he has free reign, he's a 30-10 and 10 guy in his sleep. I mean, I mean, he has that type of talent. Um, but Coach Malone is an old school coach. He he emphasizes defense first, and I and I think that's why he's a great coach. Um, but a lot of times that takes Michael out of his individual element in game, and he gets frustrated. Um, and it's hard to watch. But in the big picture of things, it's going to make Michael ten times better of an NBA player. Um, it's going to make the Nuggets a better team in the long run. It might not work out for them this year, um, but next year and for years to come. The best thing for them and for MPJ is exactly the way that, that Michael Malone has handled him and, and forced him to learn those things. I love it. Uh, so, so the goal of our show, so why we bring this up, you know, Nick has access to see the cards that are moving, but he also has access, and in a lot of ways, it sounds like he's a, a player scout as well. Um, and we'll keep it moving here. I'm excited to kind of bring, bring up the next topic, but in 30 seconds or less, why do you think he chose Missouri? Why do you think, why do I think he chose Missouri? Yeah. So uh, 30 seconds or less, his, his uh, aunt was the women's Missouri women's coach. His dad was on that staff. Um, the only reason he was going to go to Washington is because his dad took a job, an assistant job for Lorenzo Romar at Washington. Lorenzo Romar is Michael's godfather. Um, then Lorenzo Romar got fired uh, going into Michael's freshman year of college. So it was really a no brainer. He had deep, deep roots in Colombia. He wanted to go there from the beginning. Um, if the Lorenzo thing didn't happen, uh, it would have been the two all the way. Love it. So, so obviously we're talking about your, your, your 
your cards, your access to cards, the fact that obviously you're, you're a player scout, you name it. And one of the things, you know, we'll, we'll jump into a consignment stuff. But I think what Andrew wants to hear about is um, you get to see buyer side, seller side. You get to see all of the, um, you know, the psychology of it, let's call it, right? So a seller sends a card to you and says, hey, I want to sell this and here's my price. It's a Zion, it's a thousand dollars because that's what it's been going for. That was what it was going for in the week leading up to um, the basketball restart. And you were getting those cards in before the restart and he was selling like crazy. Right. So now he's had a couple of weird games. I don't want to say that he was bad. I mean, you know, he played 10 minutes and was four for his first four and, you know, but it's just a weird, the way he's being utilized. It's weird the way he looks and you get to see the buyers. Are they gobbling him up now? Are they not? Are the sellers now more willing to take a little less on their price? And then we can get into Zion, just, you know, what your thoughts are on Zion, you know, going you know forward to the player. I love that question because the answer kind of gives a big picture perspective of what's kind of going on in the hockey. Um, so Zion, like you said, before the game started, his stuff, I would get it in and it would be sold. Sometimes before I could even post it, I had people messaging me all the time. If you get this in, tell me. And, and I'd have to send out 10 messages before I even got a card in of Zion. But it, it was going like crazy. And I think um, – I kept telling people and a lot of new people reach out for advice and I'm happy to help them. But I, I, I try to explain to them, you guys are getting a, this is pre games. All right. This is when there's no games going on. I said, you guys are getting a false sense of reality of the market. Players don't just go up all the time for no reason. And, and every player, it doesn't happen. Once the game start, it's going to be more of a reactionary type of situation, especially with these shortened seasons, people are going to react positive or negative to every single game yep. um, and we saw that I mean that first game Zion I mean it didn't take long to, to recognize that he was not normal he was not the same um, and he didn't play he wasn't playing heavy minutes so I think people had those expectations of him taking it to the next level coming into the bubble he actually took it down a level um, and people hit the pause button uh, people are not buying him quickly from me there's still people buying um, but a lot of times you think the people that are all in on Zion, when they see his prices drop, they, they'd be snagging up more stuff. It's not really happening that way, believe it or not. Um, so it tells me that things are starting to adjust now that games are here, which I think is a good thing because uh, things actually become more kind of regular, um, normalized, and, and more I, – I, I say more predictable because – there's reasons why things go up or down. You know what I mean? And we know, we know most of those reasons. Whereas for a couple of months there, we didn't know, we really didn't know why things were going up and why, why the, the third string point guard was, was going up in value on a losing team. We, you know, we, we couldn't explain those things, but now we're starting to be able to explain those things more with performances. Um, but the crazy thing is this, this last week was probably my slowest week of sales. And, and games started. So, wow. so before, I would never have guessed that. Why do you think that is? And I think it's because people are trying to figure out what each game means, what each performance means in the bigger picture of this season. Um, so they want to – they're reacting to big games. Like Michael Porter Jr., I had a, a stack of his stuff, and, and I posted nine base prisms for $395 last night, and they sold in 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, so, so big games. I almost pulled the trigger on one myself. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, it was literally, I, I put them up and I went into my DMs and they were sold. It was one of those things where they, they react to big performances like that, that are kind of unexpected somewhat, but they're also reacting to the, the not as good performances that they did expect by kind of pausing and waiting to see how it all shakes out the big picture of things. Oh, it makes sense, I guess. I mean, you know, listen, it is a little more uh, rational basis to it, right? When prices go up or go down based on the actual performance of the player. I mean, you're linking the performance to the commodity, although a lot of this stuff is, is, is future potential. I mean, you know, Trey has been on a slow and steady increase, Trey Young, and he's not playing. You know what I mean? People are not buying him because of what he is or isn't doing in an eight-game bubble. Um, you know, people are buying him because of what he's going to do next year. And it, I think – I mean, we want to definitely talk to Andrew. I'll shut up. But I think, you know, even if people don't have the greatest eight game or playoffs, what's going to be interesting about this is we're going to be right back at it soon. You know, normally you have an off season, a significant off season where there's, you know, buy the dip kind of thing, right? Out of sight, out of mind. But I mean, playoffs are going to end October. Even while this is going on, you're going to have the, I think the, the draft lottery is like August 25th. Yeah, you know, there's a draft during this. I mean, it's just going to be insane how, how this – and then when it's done, six weeks later, we're back for a season, you know. So, yeah. I mean, there's going to be no real downtime for the NPA, which, you know, is going to be interesting. It's a very different, you know, for the card market this year. Yeah. Um, I can tie that in. I can tie it into to NPJ because I had people ask this exact question. They're asking me um, – you know, I know a, a few people with some really good NPJ stuff, and they're saying, what should I do? Should I be selling right now? And I said, honestly, with the quick turnaround, you have the luxury to, to hold because let's say the whole thing implodes right now. That's worst case scenario. He, you know, barring an injury, he just doesn't play well. Yep. Okay. His prices will dip, but then he's going to be one of the exciting short off season pickups going into next year. And that happens in two months. It doesn't, it, it's not a four month off season like normal. Um, so I think, and that, and that can probably be said for most basketball players, you can be more patient now than ever. This this bubble doesn't determine their long-term outlook or even their six-month outlook because there's such a quick turnaround in the off-season hype is going to start right right after this season. Prices are going to be there. So um, yeah, all you got to do is take a look at like uh, take a look at anybody who's putting up charts on it, or just look at sales for Trey. I use him all the time just because he's a great young player who is not playing. I mean, he's going to be out for nine months. He's not going to yeah. play games from March to December. And so far, from March to August, his prices have done nothing but climb. And so, let, let me ask you this. What do yeah. you think happens with Trey when the season comes around if his first two games are 15 and 7? I don't think it matters unless they draft or sign somebody who's going to be pushing him for minutes or they, yeah. you know, they completely change their system. I don't think it matters. Even 15 and 10, it doesn't I mean, obviously – it's going to stem the tide if he continues to go up between now and December. But I mean, Trey's young. He's got, you know, already. I throw him in there. I throw him in there for you guys, but it's nice. You're, you're paying attention. I, you know, I worry on these long episodes, but people go sleep on it. Words, Cage. I hang on every one of your words. Yeah. Good. This is, this is why this works because I hang on none of yours. So since we balance each other out. So here's the fun, right? So but somebody like him, 15 and 10, you're right. I mean, will it stop some upward momentum for that week? Sure. Would that be the day that I want my eBay auctions or your, you know, consignment auctions ending? Absolutely not. But, um, you know, that's somebody, you know, long-term, it's, there's no brainer on it. And oh. my deal on it also, I, I'll throw one out there. And then I definitely want to hear your, your thoughts on this is I think, especially in the basketball market, but you know, all over cards, 
I like a, um, you know, I, I think about it like, you know, rising tide lifts all ships, right? So I do like a comparison analysis too. So, you know, MPJ, Trey Young, you name it. I look at somebody like, let's just call it out, Luka Doncic. I look at Luka's, Luka's silver prism PSA 10 as like a benchmark, right? I look at that card and I'm like, you know, I have one, right? And I'm not going to tell you what I paid because it's significantly less than what I paid, what it's worth now. But I see that card and I'm like, all right, how'd that card go up to four grand? That's insane. And then I see it go up to five grand and then six grand. I, I saw one sale yesterday for $6,500. A couple of sold for close to seven baseline. I'm like, how's that card that? But then I, I think about it. All right. Well, if LeBron's rookie, which there's less than, and I know there's more to the analysis than this, but if that's going for 14 or 15, I could see people paying half for a Luca. He's got a big career ahead of him. That's his card. You name it. And then I take it a step below that and not about a 15 10 performance, but a, you know, isn't Trey worth, a third of Luca isn't he worth a half? Isn't he worth a quarter? You know, so I look at his, you know, silver PSA ten approaching two thousand dollars when Luca's is six, and I say, okay, all right, that's where it should. You know, I do a lot of that kind of comparison stuff. Um, you know, more than just a fifteen ten game. So, and I think that kind of works with the market. You know, and and you know, people who know me, um, you know, while I didn't give Trey as a pick here, uh, you know, and I know Andrew has. I mean, I was telling people to buy um, Trey Silvers when they were $500. They were $500 for no, you know, for the longest time. I sat there, 500, 500. I told people when you get a, uh, when you get a uh, 5% eBay thing or eBay bucks promotion, 10%, you name it, that's what you should buy. Just put one in your cart, have it watching and just buy that. And I have, I have double figures of those. I have more, more of those, you know, I have more than 10. I don't know exactly how many, I have, but I know I have more than 10 um, of the silver on, on him just because, you know, you stockpile them and, you know, I think that card is so so performance. It's all relative to me, I think. But what do you think, think about, Jed? I think, you know, I think you're right, and I, I do similar things. Um, but a couple things I think we have to be careful with, and I and I don't know the the exact right answer. Um, but like just because Luca went up, why does Trey have to go up? You know what I mean? I think there's yeah. times throughout the year where Luca's active. Like people are getting exciting, excited about him getting ready to play and now playing and performing at a high level, even though they're only one and two. He's played really well. Yeah, he's been um, crazy. I mean, he's been 30, 35, yeah, 13, and game. 11 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that game against the Kings was crazy. Um, but I think at this time, that multiplier should be bigger because of where we are as far as Trey and Luca. One, one guy not playing, one guy playing very meaningful games. The multiplier should be bigger right now. Yep. Now, if we're in the middle of a regular season um, and they're performing, you know, like last year, Trey's stats were at one point in the year, he was number two in points per game and number two in assists per game. It, it didn't last long. It lasted maybe a week. Um, but you could argue that statistically he was, he was better than Luca at times. I mean, I know Luca's a triple-double guy, but Trey's a 6'1", 150-pound guard. He's not going to add 10 you know, games. Uh, you know what I mean? But um, So I think it, when it's in the middle of a season and they're performing similarly or, or, or close to each other, then I think those multipliers make sense. Um, but I think they can fluctuate, and I think that's okay. I don't think it always has to be Lucas sells for three times Trey. I think sometimes it could be Lucas sells for five times Trey, and that's right. Um, but I think, it can, I, I think it can be fluid. Um, but I think LeBron, as far as active players, he kind of sets the market. And then it, yeah. and it trickles down from there. It goes Giannis, it goes Luka, 
goes Zion, and then it goes whoever else, you know, Tatum, whatever, whatever you want to go from there. Um, but I think that's a smart way to approach it, and I think that's, I think that's the explanation for why we've seen nothing but increases in the offseason is, is, is one guy goes up, and then everybody says, well, he went to here, he should be there. He should be there. If he went to there, he should be there. And that's why everybody was going up because, because the guy at the top went up. Yep. Um, and, and there was no game, so the multipliers had to stay the same, right? So um, it, it is a smart way to approach it, but you have to be fluid with it as well. All right, Andrew, come on. You're the Walter Cronkite here, or however you say that guy's name, because uh, I just butchered it. So, Walter Cronkite, you're, you're the one that likes to ask questions. What do you got for me? Otherwise, you know what will happen? Nick, he'll yell at me later. He'll be like, you didn't even let me get a question in. You hop in, Andrew. This is Andrew <laughs> time right now. Well, yesterday, I, we always want to add value to our community, right? What, what people have loved about what we've been doing here is we want to help people make money, find buying opportunities, but also kind of educate and teach them why the buying opportunities are valuable. Yesterday we were talking and you mentioned you had a real awesome op- buying opportunity. I'd love to hear about it. Nick. I do. And, and I think, I think this one might catch some people's attention and I don't, I haven't heard people talk about it this way. Um, and maybe I'm just not paying attention to the right people. Um, but all the talk right now is basketball and baseball, right? Rightfully so, the games are happening. But I see the most opportunity in football right now. Um, and let me tell you why, okay? So we all know basketball has been the market that has exploded over the last year, two years, three years, whatever. Um, it, it's the market that has taken off the most. Everybody's getting in basketball if they weren't. Um, even baseball guys. Cage, I know you're a big baseball guy. You, oh, yeah. you got over here in basketball. Um it has exploded, and I think that – I have given two or three football picks in the last week, though. I gave a, I gave a receiver yesterday. I gave a, I gave a, a Drew Locke pick early on. I gave a Kyla Murray pick early on. So I, I'm with you. I like when everybody else is looking in one direction. You look yeah. somewhere else. Okay. I love it. Yeah, I love it. And, and, and Drew Locke is a Mizzou guy, so I was there for the Drew Locke years, went to every home game. The kid, the kid has Mahomes in him. I'm not saying he's going to be Mahomes. He's not going to be. But he has that type of flair and, and style and, and, and swagger to his game. Um, but football in general, so the, so the reason basketball has exploded is because it's gone global. I mean, it is the global sport right now. Baseball is going the opposite way. I mean, they, they couldn't do worse at marketing their players. Um, and, and, and it's sad. It, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because there's so much, so many great things about baseball that that the card market could capture if they marketed their players better Uh, that's probably a whole topic for a whole nother discussion um but i think football is trying really hard to brand globally um they've got the mexico games they've got the london games um it's an american sport so it's going to take time but if you look at the big picture football is, is is moving the direction that basketball is already gone um if it becomes a global sport what is it going to do to the hobby you know what I mean? It's, it, it, if people in Europe start buying football cards, if people in China start buying football cards, it's going to go nuts. And, and who are the guys that are going to buy? Let me, let me hear you guys. Who, if it gets to Europe, if it gets to China, who is the first person that those people will buy? You want to try, Andrew, and then I'll throw one out there? I mean, Mahomes is probably, you know, the, the, the first name right now in the sport. But go ahead. 
I mean, if it's if you're talking about right now, the yeah, you know, the the OGs are you know Brady and Breeze from a quarterback perspective. Obviously, you got Lamar well, Jackson. Look at it from a, a, look a at it from cultural perspective, because basketball is a cultural sport, right? It, it, basketball is a is a culture. People people attach basketball to so many other things besides basketball, and I think football can become that. Um, and I think culturally. Like you said, Cage, Mahomes is the guy that people are going to gravitate to first. Mm-hmm. It's not Brady. Brady. Brady's got all the accomplishments, and he is an all-time great legend. But he's on his way out, and people want the guy that's going to be around for a while. Um, so let me ask you one more question. To uh, I'm, I'm pulling a cage here, and I'm asking questions. To I like it. Um, who is the basketball comparison for, for Tom Brady in the hobby? <clears throat> LeBron. Or, LeBron. Okay. Okay. So who's Mahomes? Luca. Giannis. Okay. So that's fair. And I think, I think 99%, I think 99% of people think that way. All right. But let me argue a different perspective. All right. But I'm talking about the big global explosion of football, starting with Mahomes and trickling down. All right. But my argument for, 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 for another reason that things are going to go a certain direction, Brady's the LeBron. Mahomes is the Giannis or Luka to most people. But, but look at it from this perspective, and maybe I'm just way off, but I'm getting a very early, mid-'80s NBA vibe, okay? So to me, Tom Brady is Kareem, Magic, Larry Bird. Patrick Mahomes is Michael Jordan, okay? Michael Jordan made basketball a global sport, okay? He branded himself, okay? Look at Mahomes. He's already signed a – a half a billion dollar contract. He bought part of the Royals. He's the face of the NFL and he's played two full seasons while Tom Brady is still active. Patrick Mahomes is making Michael Jordan moves now. Okay, it's it's early. All right, but if you rewind eight years ago, everybody right now wishes they bought everything LeBron. I think we're in that moment right now for Mahomes. People are scared of an $8,000 prism. It's, there's 800 of them, okay? There's not a it's, – it's a silver. There's no base. It's shiny. People say it's the base, but whatever, whatever that argument is, there's not a base and a silver. There's one. There's 800 PSA 10s. That's it. LeBron's paper tops chrome, there's 2,000 of them. It sells for $15,000. Okay, so if Mahomes – just LeBron's becomes, is in the greatest ever conversation, though, right? And that's right. why it's 15. And Mahomes, right. he could get there. He's played two years. And obviously, I'm not going to poo-poo what he did. He's an yes. MVP and a Super Bowl winner. You don't, do, you don't have much better two years than that, right? But you also have brand? a legendary coach. You also have a legendary coach. Oh, yeah. yes. Come With on. who? Mahomes. Get, Mahomes. Andy Reid. Get off is, Andy Reid's I mean, job. it is his first Super Bowl oh, win. So, Andy listen – a top three coach of all time. How do you? Know? Like, this is this is a tough. This is a tough spot with Andrew. He's a Philadelphia guy, and he, we went through a whole thing about. <laughs> yeah, how, I get it. How, I get it. You know, Listen, they did him wrong. They let him go, and you know, I mean, it was it's a whole thing with him. I, I just, just let him go. Yeah, well, there's a logic which just went all yeah, over Cage's head. Yeah. It's over. Was it over when they bombed Pearl Harbor? When a German <laughs> bombed Pearl Harbor? Just forget it. He's rolling. So, Anybody, Animal House? No? Too old listen, to listen, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. <laughs> uh, but Mahomes, obviously, he has work to do. He's played two or four years, right? And this, like I said, with a knee injury, like Michael Porter 
Jr. I'm just gonna throw right. that around. He, Brady, he dislocated the knee, but and that's a lot of people's hang up with football. But Tom Brady tore his ACL in 2008, mm-hmm. and his his career, his legacy is just fine. People, I, I bet, I bet half the people you pulled right now that are under 30 years old don't even know Tom Brady tore his ACL. Um, that that are NFL fans. Um, so I mean, mm-hmm. he could tear his ACL, and and it really might not have an impact on his entire career. And, and, and he has a lot of stuff to accomplish, though. I'm not saying you should pay $15,000 for his prison today. But I'm saying this could be a moment that we look back to in five years and say, man, I, I wish I bought his prison for $8,000 when it's $40,000 now. You know, and I'm not saying my pick isn't go buy his $8,000 prison. All right. All right. I'm All right. going to get to my pick. Okay. So I think the NFL is going to be a global sport. I think the, the audience is growing and it's going to continue to grow and it's going to affect the all-time greats that have, that have already achieved and they've already accomplished the things that we want Mahomes to achieve or, or want Mahomes to achieve for them. All right, so you got – who's number one in all of the, the passing categories right now? Career. Drew Brees. So you have Brees, Manning, okay. Brady, Montana – Right. So you got Drew Brees. Is your Mount Rushmore, right? Drew Brees is number one in like every category, like like passing yards, passing touchdowns, um, that type of stuff. Okay. His tops, his base tops rookie PSA 10 is a $1,400 card. Okay. He has zero MVPs. He's got a Super Bowl, um, 11-time Pro Bowler. Okay. $1,400. The pop on that card is is about 400 Okay. So uh, I think it's about where it should be. Okay. Who is you got Tom Brady? You got Drew Brees. Who do you think of next as far as all-time greats that are still playing? But what are you talking after, about? After Brady, after Brees, active quarterbacks that are that are going to be all-time greats right now. Philip Rivers. Who's next? Green um, Bay. Rivers. I'm Rogers, obviously. Yeah, you got it. Aaron Rodgers. All right. So Aaron Rodgers has. He's the, he's got the number one passer rating all time career number one passer rating okay he's 13th in passing yards he's going to be top five in every passing category by the time he's done all right um he's got a super bowl he's got two mvps okay his tops psa 10 rookie card sells for less than 400 dollars. okay the pop is is big on it it's 1500 all right but i was watching nfl network the other day they were talking to Devonte adams Devontae Adams brought up a point that, that hit home with me about Rodgers. You guys saw the NFL top 100 list recently where Mahomes was like third-ranked quarterback. He's like the fourth-ranked player in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers was the sixth-ranked quarterback. The last time he was ranked outside of the top five on that list, the last it happened two times. He won MVP both years. Okay, He was ranked number six this year. All right, so he's got that chip on his shoulder. Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys that you would rather see him when he's happy and all things are going well than him pissed off, right? He's one of those guys that plays better with a chip on his shoulder when he has something to prove. Um, they drafted Jordan Love in the first round. Do you think he's just going to roll over and give that job away, or do you think he's going to come out and, and try to play the best he's ever played, okay? Another layer to that is we don't really have an offseason. So I think veteran quarterbacks are going to perform better than first-year, second-year quarterbacks because 
they don't they don't need what those younger guys need in the offseason. A lot of these vets don't even do much in the offseason with their teams. Um, so I'm buying into a guy like Rodgers. Drew Brees going for 1400 Rodgers going for 375 um, I think there's a ton of opportunity there. Even if the value is just correct, and Rodgers plays normal Rodgers, I think that card has 600-plus potential in the very short term. If football becomes the global sport that I think it can become, and it becomes what basketball, what's happening with basketball now happens with football in two, three years, cards like that Rodgers are going to be two, three, four thousand dollar cards if, if it reaches that global level that it's trying to reach. Um, there's a ton of there's a ton of other scenarios like that. Russell Wilson is a guy worth looking into um, that I think is undervalued. Um, there's a lot of those guys that are established, that have Super Bowl championships, they have MVPs. They're only going to add to those resumes, and their prices are cheap. Um, but I think that's, I think that's where the most opportunity is overall right now. In, in the next year, I think football is the best opportunity right now. So, so the play isn't Mahomes; it's Rogers. It's the trickle down from Mahomes, and I think Mahomes. I think Mahomes is a great buy. I'm buying Mahomes like crazy myself, but I'm a I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. All right. So I would I would be buying him regardless because he's fun to watch. But I think there's a ton of value in Mahomes. Um, but I think the the play, I think Mahomes, this is early LeBron, I think is where we are with, with Mahomes. Like 2008 LeBron. People wish they were buying him in 2008 now. Um, I think that's what we're going to say about Mahomes in, in three to five years. Um, but as far as opportunities right now, I think that the, the smart uh, pick that could just naturally correct, according to everybody else, is Rodgers. Less than 400 bucks for a tops uh, number 431 PSA 10. I think okay. there's immediate value in that. And then there's next level value if, if NFL kind of becomes what basketball is. I love it. Um, I love that a lot. Let me ask you, because I want to ask you about your consignment business. I want to hear what you learned about through that business. But real quick, what do you think about Rogers' likability or lack thereof? Yeah, I think that's a concern. And, and, and one other layer to that is if Brett Favre played anywhere else, Rogers' stuff would be at another level because you, you have those Green Bay people that are that are, are kind of either Favre or Rogers. There's a lot of Green Bay fans that won't, they won't pick, they won't, they won't love them both. They have to pick a side for whatever reason. One thing I started to talk about was, um, you know, if Brett Favre played for any other team, it would help Aaron Rodgers so much. Because I think there's a, there's a wave of Packers fans that are either Favre or Rodgers. There, there's a wave that they, they just love the Packers, but there's like this whole rivalry between Favre and Rodgers. Um, within Packers fans, and that's going to be a lot of your collectors. So here's my uh, my thought on the overall thing, right? Because you okay. asked me, you said, Andrew, what do you think about that cage, right? So yes. what do I think about it? It's I love it. I love the thought process that goes into it. But I don't think football is ever going to have anywhere close to the global appeal that uh, the NBA has right now. I, I don't know how the NBA did it, but they managed to – figure out a way to appeal to everyone. They market it the right way. The TV is the right way. The game is right for global appeal. It's a short game. You know, it's basically like two hours and done. 
um, that you get to see the players. You get to interact with the players. You get to see who they are, their faces, their mannerisms. They let the people be who they are. Um, you know, and I think that really is a huge draw for the NBA. I think, you know, it's, it's very easy for my son to say, oh, Zion, look at him. I know what he looks like. Look at his crazy haircut. And, you know, he's going to be nuts or, or, you know, I'm, I want to, I want to buy some of his cards because, you know, he's going to be great for the next 10 years. I can watch him play and buy his Jersey and, and all that other fun stuff. And you see him, you know, you see his face, you know, Trey Young, crazy hair, you know, Luca, you know, you see like baby face kid out there doing his stuff and football difficult because one it's a longer game two everybody is wearing their armor so you don't get that same type of like you know interaction let's call it you get to see tom brady's face or you know these guys they do when they become doing commercials and they're on you know other things they become more of a global brand sure um and that kind of helps your rogers thought process but um i think one of the cool things about basketball i mean i watched a special about a, a court in thailand I think it was, um, who went over there? One of the NBA guys went over there. It was, you know, it was in a project in Asia and they had this court. It was Kobe. What, what was that? Yeah. It was in Bali and he came Bali. at the court. So, yeah, the Bali court. Right. So exactly. My bad. So, um, well, so, but the, the point is you could, you have basketball courts all over the place. Right. And you, what do you need? You need a ball, right? I mean, you, you rub a ball, you play basketball. Football's not like that. You know, football is, you know, you need the equipment, you need the big field, you know, you need the stuff. Yeah, you could throw a football around and stuff like that, but to actually play, play games, actually have, you know, competition of it, it's, it's tougher, right? It's tougher to do that. And, you know, while you're right, there's an expansion into London games at Wembley Stadium. I mean, baseball went over to London too. And it was a farce. I mean, that game was ridiculous. I mean, it blew up a couple. I, mean, I think Tanaka's ERA was dead for the whole year because of what happened over there. But, um, and you would think it would have traction because it's close to cricket and, and the whole deal. Just going and playing those games is not exactly going to be a, a, you know, a global acceptance. But I love to play. I think it's low risk, something like a, a Rogers card. I mean, even if it doesn't have global traction, I think you're right. I mean, it, you know, ultimately basketball – people are going to max out on it and look for what's next. What can happen like that? And we talked about, I have a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar card that just sold $84,000. Crazy card. I mean, like so much more just because of the hype. There should be, and I'm going even further back than your play with football. I like your football play, but I would even go one step further, right? I mean, everybody loves quarterbacks, but you know, what about Bart Starr? What about, you know, um, Johnny Unitas, you know, what about Joe Namath? What about rookie cards of those guys? Vintage, you know, quarterbacks, the, the original stars of the game too. Um, you know, if they're a global brand, people are going to have an appetite for that stuff too. You know, I'm not telling people to go back and buy their rookie cards. I think, you know, find the Mahomes entry point that's not an $8,000 prism is probably the better starting point. Um, but I like the analysis. I think it's well thought out. And I think it does play in that, you know, basketball has that global appeal. What's next? And I think you're probably right, sadly, for my love of baseball. I think you're probably right that um, that football football cards, football all-time greats, the great the greats who are still playing now will probably be next. And then you'll see a, a jump of the, the, the greats of yesteryear. I think you're already seeing it. I've seen record prices every time a Jerry Rice 86 um, tops card sells for um, – is it 86? 86 tops. Yeah. When I see that, that 86, that green border card of his, every time it sells now in PSA 10, it sets a new record. $30,000, whatever it may be. Um, so I think you're already starting to see it on some of the, you know, the, the blue chip pieces. Um, but yeah, I love it. I, I think it's great. I mean, I, I go ahead. 
Can I piggyback off that? Uh, so one of the things that was super surprising when I was in Indonesia and in Bali is actually how popular basketball has become in big cities like Jakarta, uh, in, in Bali. Like it was, I, you would think that soccer would be the most popular sport and, and it probably still is. Uh, but kids growing up were playing basketball there. They were, we had pickup games every single night. Uh, so that really did show me the, how global uh, basketball has become. I want to ask one more thing, and I do want to move it to talking about the consignment business, right? Because that's super interesting as well for people. Nick, you, you have so much knowledge to share on that front. You know, for the longest time, really, I think Probstein was really the, the go-to consignment player. Uh, and I think we're going to start seeing a lot more players in that space like you. Real quick, should we touch on the Mahones or should we go right into the consignment? I'm okay. Andrew, this was the court. Can you see that? That was the court I was talking about. Yeah, I remember that, that, that picture. That's the Kobe. That's so cool. I know you love it. You see the, you know, I mean, you could put a picture of this up if you want, but that's, you see the, you know, the, the Kobe tribute. That's, I watched a special about this, like a Netflix special. Yeah. Really what hit home with me is that, that NBA, there's the basketball brand, Nick, right? So sorry about that. I, I, I interrupt. I always interrupt. That's what I do. Poor Andrew. <laughs> you should see the DMs I get. They're like, Cage is the man. We love Cage. <laughs> Keep coming with the giveaways. Cage, we love you the way you are. Thanks, man. Uh, so real quick, Andrew, before you touch – I want you to touch on Mahomes real quick. Yeah. But I think, Cage, you, you made great points, and I agree with all of those. Basketball is probably the easiest sport to grow globally because it's so accessible, and, and you make great points about the players. Like, you can physically see all of their mannerisms all of the time. Yep. And, it, and it's seven guys really playing a whole game. Some, some teams play more than seven guys, but – but you're seeing not that many people, so, so you can you can focus on less things at, at, at one time. Um, and, and, and I think with football, basketball has been growing globally for years. It just now, it, within the hobby, kind of hit that point where it's like, it's blowing up. It's there. You know what I mean? I think football is at the very beginning of the process. So I think it, it, it's going to take a while for, for us to really see, like, oh, wait, these kids in, in Europe are going to football. I've never seen that before. Yep. All right. And I could be dead wrong. I could be dead wrong, but that's the type of – I try to think of what's happening now and how could that happen somewhere else within the It wouldn't hobby. matter, even if you're wrong, even if it doesn't explode the way you think. Yeah. The, the, the blue chips that you're talking about, the yes. Mahomes, who in his first two years won an MVP in a Super Bowl, and Aaron Rodgers, who has done things that you know very few have ever done – you put your money in something like that, you're going to be fine, even if it doesn't explode as a global yeah. sport. So I like the plays. So, so to me, real quick on the Mahomes, uh, and just, not just Mahomes, just in general investing, like you put your money into something and there's always a risk reward ratio, right? So to me with football, it's naturally a more dangerous sport. So the risk is clearly right off the bat higher than it would be in basketball, right? Um, like the Jonathan Isaac injury, tragic, shitty, but like it's been what a week and we've seen one injury. Opening day of football, like you have the first kickoff and you're probably like four people down. Um, so the risk reward, like when I'm putting money in and, and maybe let's say my home's doubles or triples in the next five years, okay, but my risk is also much higher. So like how do I justify that? How do I find that balance putting my money into a sport long term and when I'm I'm taking on so much more risk with maybe the same upside. Very good points. And I think, I think it's a player to player situation. Um, and, and we'll use Mahomes as an example. And the, the counter to Mahomes for me is Lamar. Um, they play the same position, 
they're, they're similar as far as accolades. You know, they both won MVP in their first full season of starting young, exciting players. But nobody can deny that Lamar's playing style is 10 times riskier than Mahomes, right? Like, Lamar relies on his legs. Um, and, and, and sure, he, he looked great this first season, and he didn't look like he was ever going to get hurt. But the way he plays is, is much more susceptible to injury than the way Mahomes plays or the way Tom Brady plays. Um, you know what I mean? These are guys that really, in the grand scheme of things, rarely get touched. You know what I mean? I mean, when they do, it's, it's, it's you know, it, it tends to be kind of bigger hits because they're not expecting it. But, but it, it, compare them to a running back, compare them to other positions, the risk is not as high as you would think. And then there's the other layer where a, a guy with Mahomes playing style, if he tears his ACL, it, it's not going to affect the way he plays. He's right. still going to have the same arm. Um, his mobility is important to the way he plays, but he doesn't rely on his speed and his agility and his legs. Whereas if Lamar tears his ACL, he's a totally different player. You know what I mean? He has to start to rely on his arm more, which is the weakness in his game. So, so I think it's a player to player situation in football with, with risk and injury. I think you have to approach it. I love it. And we're going to move it to consignment here. Cage is a – he moves cards, man. I, I know he's going to love, love, love this topic. A thought that was keen to my mind, like as you were talking about Lamar, uh, how exciting would Michael Vick's cards be right now? Oh, my goodness. He was still playing. Like all of the other bullshit aside, I really don't want to get into it. Like just straight up Vick, man. His cards would be flying. I still – I still – I love Lamar's style, but Michael Vick – just pure playing style has been the most exciting player to watch in the last 20 years, 15 years. And I love Mahomes. I think Mahomes is crazy exciting. But Vic had a cannon with those legs, too. I mean, he could he could be on a dead sprint and just drop down and sling a 70-yard pass. Right. You know, like, I mean, we didn't see that type of stuff. So, yeah, that's I would Listen, assume this stuff. If you want to talk about talents, the talent, I mean, Michael Vick, Pat Mahomes, they're great, but nobody could throw the ball 65 yards from their knees like the great Jamarcus Russell, first round pick <laughs> by the Oakland Raiders. They call, him, game, they call him game film Jamarcus. Did you ever hear my, that story? Sent my Raiders team back uh, a decade with that one. You know, you know who got picked after him? Megatron. Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Calvin Johnson, man. You know, uh, Did Jamarcus. you hear? You guys have heard that Jamarcus story about the game film, right? No. Love to so hear it. There you go. The coaches were suspicious that he wasn't watching game film. So they sent him home with, with blank tapes. Oh, yeah. And they asked him the next day, you know, what did you notice on the film? And he started talking about coverage and stuff. And, and that's when they knew. That was the turning point. They knew he wasn't he didn't care. He wasn't watching film, blah, blah, blah. And that was it. That was the end of Jamarcus. That's crazy. Well, we talk Vic, we talk Mahomes. Let's, um, you know, let's. I actually have some Vic cards. I, I, I love watching. But what made him cooler than what we're seeing now with Lamar Jackson is, people can say Lamar Jackson he plays kind of like Vic. Exactly. People would say, but with Vic, there the was original. nobody. You know, like he, nobody yeah. did what he was doing. That was what made it really, you know, exciting. At least what I thought. So, let's talk about your, your, you know, your consignment stuff. Let's talk about how this started. Let's talk about, you know, the backbone of it, how it works, how people can, you know, utilize your service and uh, save them some money. This will almost become my tip. You have your tip on the play. My tip is reach out to Nick, 
look at what he's doing and you know not only will he probably get you better prices for your cards because of the exposure that's there but it will save you some money some significant money so talk about it how did it start how did we generate it and to work with and he's really easy to work with i don't know he's a pain in the ass here today but <laughs> no, i'm just kidding i like, I like to have fun man. i like to have fun uh yeah so the, the way it kind of started is i think everybody's kind of just getting fed up with with eBay, you know, I don't, I don't like to really single out individual uh, platforms and, and people, but that's the, that's the place to go for yeah. cars. It still is. It's, it's probably always going to be. But there's a lot of things that are frustrating about eBay. And, and me myself, I was terrified to list cars on eBay, not, not because I didn't think they would sell, but because I thought they would get manipulated. I thought if they did sell, that it would get canceled, and then I, then I would be harder to sell, or, or Worst case scenario, I would send it and, and somebody would damage it and or claim they didn't get it and then get a full refund and still have the card. There's a lot of headaches and, and things that worry me about eBay. And then, and then the fees. I mean, you lose 13% unless you're a top-rated seller. You lose 13% right off the top between eBay and PayPal. I'm a top-rated seller. I still lose 13%. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. There's some there's some wiggle room there where you can yeah. You have to have a store and pay them and all this other fun you stuff. You have to accept there's no hassle returns and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the sellers aren't protected on eBay, um, and that's terrifying. Um, and, and then there's taxes, and I mean, you know, at some point, even if I get big, I'm gonna have to charge taxes. That's that's something you can avoid. Um, but but it costs more in every single aspect of a of a buy and sell on eBay than it does all. So I saw opportunity, um, you know, I messed around on Facebook, but Instagram was kind of just where I felt the most comfortable. I, I really like the, the, the individual interaction that happens on Instagram. Um, you know, even, even just negotiating a card, it's just a conversation and it's fun. Um, so I saw opportunity to, for buyers to get cards at cheaper prices. Um, and with this whole thing becoming more and more about investing, what you pay for a card matters more than it ever did. Um, and then as a seller, we can sell a card for less than eBay and still have more money in our pocket at the end of the transaction. Um, so I've kind of found the, the comfort zone from eBay comp to where we can sell it at, where I get my 3%, and you still come out ahead of if you sold it on eBay. That's the goal. So if, if you sell, if the card's selling for 100 bucks on eBay, you're going to get $87 on that transaction. So I'm going to try to sell it at 95 and, and you're going to try to walk away with 90. All right. That's kind of the goal of a, of a transaction on a consignment with us. Now it depends on the car. It depends on the player, just like it does on eBay, on, on whether, on, on what price you can sort of target and, and what the demand is going to be. Um, but we've had a lot of success. And I mean, this is probably our, fifth week maybe of doing this and we're approaching $130,000 in sales wow. just, on, just on Instagram. I mean, I haven't, haven't sold a card on eBay for months. Oh, I take that back. I sold a personal card the other day on eBay because I got an outrageous price that I did not expect. So I accepted <laughs> it without hesitation. Um, but I, I, I'm not posting stuff on eBay. Um, I did just roll out my website, thewarfsportscards.com and for those of you guys that don't know who I am, the Wharf is W-H-A-R-F. So the Wharf, sportscards.com. 
um, or at the work sports cards on Instagram. Um, and, and every consignment card, the first thing I do right when I get it in, I, I put it up on the website for sale. Okay, so you can go right on the website every day. When I get it in, I scan it and I put it on the website immediately. Um, I noticed that you say a story sale is coming, but if you don't want to wait, it's right there on the website. You want to buy it right now. It's there, which is cool. Exactly. I mean, it, it, and I saw that, um, you know, I kind of just try to listen to the customers and, and the whole thing started with just Wednesday story sales and it gained momentum. But, but people were like, you know, I don't, people were messaging me constantly before Wednesday with, can I get this? What's this going to be priced at? I said, you got to wait for the story. Sale. Um, so I saw opportunity there where, where People are busy during the day. They can't always pop into the story at 9 a.m. or 12 p.m. or whatever. So, you know, now when I have the card and I get it scanned in, you have access to buying it. And every Monday and Wednesday now, um, uh, we do a story sale. So every every card that's still available, we post it on our Instagram story with the asking price. Um, we put the eBay comps right there, and then we put the cheapest available on eBay. So. Those are the things people tend to look at. Like if I'm going to look at a card and you have it listed for a hundred bucks, first thing I'm going to go do is look up what it's been selling for and I'm going to see if I can get it cheaper on eBay. So, so I try to give people that information. I, I understand they're still probably going to look into it themselves, which is responsible and fine, but I try to give them the information they're looking for right there in one shot. Um, but, but it's been successful. We, we've done well with consignments. Um, you know, we work together to, to establish target prices. I'm never going to sell something for below what somebody wants to accept. So I, so I make sure I know that number before time, before a consignment comes in. And I never go below that number without consulting with, with the seller first, um, working through that. But I think there's there's major opportunity with it in selling off of eBay in general. I'm not a big fan of auctions. I, I, I very rarely bid on auctions, but I would never sell a card on auction. Cage likes auctions, but you just mentioned like you set a price for a card, right? I think for me as a seller, I like knowing what I'm getting. Cage, you could jump in here too. I just want to talk about like the, the difference kind of in this space between auctions and buy it nows or best offers. So auction, my deal is if you're just looking to get rid of something, and the market sets the price and you know as long as you get enough eyeballs on it i wouldn't be you know opening up an ebay account with you know you know 10 days old putting a legitimate card on there and listing it with a one or three day auction ending at some random time and hope to get the right eyeballs on it and actually get you know a bidding war or you name it but um you know, you do it the right way, you list it at the right time, you end it at the right time, and you list it with a bunch of other things that are going to draw the same type of uh, eyes to it. You know, you end five or 10 auctions at the same time, you know, a couple minutes apart. I mean, the market will set a price for it. That's the thing. Now, do you run the risk of, of it selling for the low of that week or that month? Sure. You know, maybe there's a basketball game on or a baseball game on at the same time or, or something on TV, you name it. The sales that Nick is running at the wharf they take that out of the equation. He's setting a baseline with the seller and saying, this is it. Like, I, you're not selling it if you don't get me that price. So there's obviously less of a variable there, but the flip side is, you know, when you set that bottom line sale price as the seller, if you don't get it, your thing does not sell. And I'm constantly churning cards. You know what I mean? Like I would do that on my bigger stuff, but I'm, 
I'm like, you know, I want, you know, call me a day trader. That's fine. You know, I'm constantly in and out of the different commodities on these cards. You know, I get back a PSA thing and you know, if it's a hundred cards and there's 50 of them in there, I don't want they're sold that week so that I can go buy something else and submit them somewhere else. It's just a constant churn of the stuff. And you need auctions to do that because you know, you are guaranteed to sell it for whatever the market will pay you. Um, I think you're, you're, you're more than right there. And, and, and I've considered that layer um, and, and we are going to roll out um, the option to throw a card on eBay at auction if it doesn't sell within a time frame. If the, if the seller wants to do that. When, they, when you send in the consignment, we can negotiate beforehand. We're going to list it for a week. If it doesn't sell, it goes to the seven-day option. And, and like you said, we're going to we know when to list stuff. We're, we're not going to list it on a Friday at, right. you know, at two o'clock or whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but, but I think you're right. The auctions kind of set the market and, and the market decides, like you said, um, you know, if we, it's an interesting thing to think about if, if cards were only best offered by now on eBay, would cards really go up in value that much? I mean, I mean, it's the auctions that take it to the next level. That's right. The surprise. The surprise, yeah, right? Exactly. Everybody's competing for the same card. They know what other people are willing to pay. It's right there in front of you. Um, so that's kind of what takes cards to the next level. So I appreciate auctions. Um, but eBay just scared me. Guys, real quick, what, what card, not the player, but what type of card would you auction? What kind of type of card would you best offer or buy it now? I think all so so in general and this is not my consignments um but it cage you can touch on this more because you do it more um but i think if, if if i'm just trying to move a card like i just want it to go i'm, I'm gonna send it to auction yep. um, if, if i'm if it's more of a rare card there's not a lot out there i feel like i can dictate the price more so i'm gonna set it at a, at a buy it now best offer let me ask you real quick 100 junior yesterday right? Yeah. Booming. Just buying it at the next level, right? So you're buying it now, so they actually got scooped up, like for 1100 his PSA 10 silver scooped up, but then the next next one that was at 1300 that got scooped up, then it went to 1500 Is yeah. that a card that you auction off, or is that a card that you offer a really high buy it now with the best offer? I think with a card that common, I'm okay with it selling for 1100 when the next one goes for 1300 you know what I mean? There's, there's a thousand, there, there, there might be a couple thousand of that. I'm not sure to pop on, on his silver, um, but it's not a rare enough card to where I'm, I care if I, if I sell it for 1100 and that's one goes 1300, but if it was an out of 99 and, and the market's been around a thousand, I'm not setting my bin at 1100. I'm setting it at two X at least so that if somebody hits that bin, I'm good. I, I made the money I needed to make and, and I'm out of it. Um, so I think, I think pricing it right is is important. And the more rare the card is, the higher you need to go above comps with the, with the buy it now price. I love it. Guys, here, we, we've talked about a lot today. So we, we talked about, you know, some of the reasons why Nick thinks Michael Porter Jr. is here to stay. We've talked about opportunities in the football space that no one's looking for. And, you know, our goal here is to always bring you tactics, ideas, advice of what to buy. We've talked about consignment and the right way to go about selling and buying cards. Unless there's anything top of mind for you, Cage, I just have one, one question left. No, I mean, this has been, this has been great. I've, I'm going to go on eBay as soon as we're done here and start looking for some stuff. <laughs> he gave me some good ideas, but go for it. What do you got? 
so you're Nick, you're at the core of buying and selling, right? And just last week, PSA and BGS, they, they've gone crazy with their prices, their estimated turnaround times. That's got to have some kind of trickle down effect. I don't know what kind of trickle down effect it has. I'm interested to hear what you, Nick, think will happen. And I, I want to hear what KJ is going to say about that as well. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to that, and I, I don't think we'll see the the effect immediately, um, but we will over time. And I think it could go a couple of different ways. I mean, I would assume there's there's a a, a group of people that aren't going to send cards in for grading anymore, or are going to send a lot less, which is probably the ultimate goal of both of those companies was to kind of slow down what was incoming so they could they could keep up with with the demand of stuff. Um, but it's also, it's going to affect the money people are making and how they approach the hobby. Because we talked about this before, the most lucrative approach to the hobby is grading. If you know what you're doing, you will make more money buying raw and, and grading than you will any other, any other avenue of the hobby. Um, but if it costs you more money, it, it impacts the cards that you're willing to send in for grading. That, that base raw $2 card is not as appealing even if it's selling for 75 because you're paying 40 bucks for it to get graded. Um, it, and then you have to wait for it to come back. Um, so yeah, we could I shouldn't send in my Prism LeBron base 19th year, like first Laker jersey so, though. So listen, I want I, I, I <laughs> a, a, a mega box of 19 Prism a while ago on Instagram and I pulled a base LeBron and I cannot find it because at that time it was worth like 10 cents. Um, and now it's a couple hundred dollar card and I'm scrambling all over the place trying to find this card. Well, LeBron's base prisms for this year went to $25 and I'm laughing my ass off about it. And meanwhile, I'm an idiot because I should have held out until the 75 or 100 they're at now, right? But when they're I, I don't understand. Bucks, I, I, you know what I did? I had to go in my son's room and raid his, uh, his binder. <laughs> You know, the crappy cards, here you go. You could have this one. Like, it's just, uh, you know, tr try not to bend this. You know, I'm yeah. yanking LeBrons out. I'm, I'm like, Ian, I'll give you $10 for each one of these. No yeah, problem. Here you go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, know, you got to raid the common box, basically. Right. But I think, so, so I think it's going to slow that down as far as people sending stuff in and, and their, their entire approach to making money in the hobby. But I also think it can make credit cards more valuable over time because it's going to be, I, you know, you, you would think there's going to be less – graded cards if people are sending in less cards you're protecting the pop reports and maybe they become even more valuable um but i also wonder about a company like bbs who is kind of falling farther and farther behind psa now they're charging outrageous amounts for their services they might become obsolete i mean a lot of things could shake out that we don't know but it's something to to monitor very closely here's a hot take on psa from me right so it's a lo loads of fun right um psa has been very very lucky that their backlog and their inability to do what they need to do with their um flow of orders has come at a time where there has been a tremendous upswing in pricing overall so so they've gotten the benefit of that someone like me who is while we're talking refreshing a qa2 which you know, quality assurance level two. It's the it's the level right before they ship your cards out and tell you what your grades are. And my one order has been in there since Friday, and I refresh it every ten minutes. Uh, what's the grades, right? So so someone like me who's had that that in there since early February, 
um, and it's past 100 plus 20 days of COVID, you name it. Um, but it's all Trey Young base cards that I paid $10 for at the time that I don't need back right now because it's not really playing again until December. And every day they hang on to it, they go up. I'm not flipping out. I'm not on Twitter saying, PSA, where's my cards? I'm actually on Twitter saying, PSA, thank you for hanging on to my cards because if I got them back in, in April, I might have sold them for half the price that they are now. So PSA has been very lucky that their backlog coincides with a general increase in pricing because the vast majority of people who are out there that are sitting waiting 100, 150, some people 200 days for their cards, those cards have actually gone up. And PSA has done them a favor because when they get those tens back, they're going to sell them for way more than they would have sold had they got them back quicker. What my concern is, is when that slows down, right? What and if, you go ahead. What if that flip? Yeah, well, well, exactly. I mean, you you have people putting in cards now. Um, you know, talk about like the the next football season, right? You got people putting in cards now with Drew Lock base prism something i tell people to do right put it in and you know I, I, you don't have to do it bulk but if you did it bulk and you say you know what i want that card back because i want to be able to sell it week one week two week three when he's doing good week five because his early part of his season is and if you're sitting there waiting and you see those cards selling on ebay for double what they're worth right now you're going to want those cards back but you're all right because it keeps going up but in week seven he has a stinker of a game week eight he comes back down to earth a little bit. And this happens to more quarterbacks, more players than we want to we wanna admit, but it happens. Now week eight, week nine, you see that card that if PSA got it back to you, you would have sold in week five, week six for twice as much. And the only reason why you missed out on that is because PSA has held your card. I think you're going to start to see some venom from people. I think you're going to start to see something we have not seen yet. And that is going to be interesting. That's my, my, my fun take on, uh, you know, on, on PSA. As long as, the, as long as the overall market's good and uh, the tide keeps rising, they have a nice cushion because they're making money for people by holding onto their cards. Yep. Can I give you my quick take? Yeah. I think uh, – I, I can't find the prices here, but I think two days – Of what? Two-day and five-day. So, like, I'm – PSA, it's, it's, oh, it's almost cost prohibitive. You better have, a, like, a, like a collection-making card – so I think there's opportunity with that. I think there's raw cards out there if you're strategically buying that you can buy. And I would, I would focus either going 45 day on cards that you really, really, really don't kind of need back immediately. And then there's should be some cards that you two day and five day and really kind of use that to flip. So five day super express, <clears throat> which is five business days, which is probably wind up being about 15 days. By the time they log it in and all that other fun stuff, but a five business day one, you can't have a card worth more than five grand. They charge you 200 bucks. Okay. The one business day walkthrough, they have a bunch of them, but up to 10 grand on a card is $500 up to 25 grand is a thousand dollars. So, and that's just to grade the card with, you know, the one business day turnaround. Um, their express is 10 business days, 75 bucks doable. But once you go past that, you're starting to talk about real money towards the card. You think 200 is too much? It depends on the value of the card. What's the percent of the value of the card if it comes back as an 8, 9, or a 10? I, I, you can't I, answer the question without knowing what card it is. It's too much if I'm, if I'm submitting a Kyle Lewis Tops 2020 uh, base card that I paid $3 for. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of like a Kobe Tops 50th. What's a PSA 10 sell for? 8,000 right now. Well, then 200 bucks is a small percentage of the overall price. And it's definitely right. 
So it's like seven hundred, five hundred thousand. dollars That's not a card that I would rush through. I'd be fine with the economy on that one, unless you think the entire basketball card market is going to drop. Because for obvious reasons, Kobe's not going to have a stinker of a game. What about like a Zion out of fifty or out of forty-nine? Zion, I might, I might, I might rush Zion stuff definitely, especially if I thought he wasn't going to make the playoffs and I needed to capitalize on the game right now. I might rush someone like him. Sure. Yeah, I think timing matters with that stuff and what your what your overall goal is on when you want to sell it, um, whether the player is active, whether he's, you know, hot in the market right now or whether you think the, the heat is coming. I mean, it, it matters. You know what I think that stuff's good for? You know when National Treasures comes out and you want to be the first or the second person yeah. on eBay with a high-graded, you know, uh, RPA, right? Cool. You, go, you pull the jaw. And you think it's the card's gonna be twenty five thousand dollars or whatever it is? You want to rush it through with a one day? That's fine because you know the card's gonna sell for something like that. But beyond that, I don't really see. You know, I mean, it, it cuts into your money. You know, it cuts into what you're ultimately gonna sell it for. And if it turns out that you were wrong about, you know, your raw review of the card and it doesn't grade well, that's just money down the drain. My man Rick is never wrong. Okay. All right. Say, uh, you know, as as we wrap up here. Just big thanks to you, Nick. Um, you and Rick, but Rick's not here, so just you, I'll thank you. Uh, hopefully, Rick gives it a listen. But, you know, I, I always speak about how amazing this community is, uh, how kind, how giving a lot of people in the sports card world are. And, and you're super accessible. You know, you're always willing to give your two cents, help someone out. And, and that goes a long way. So I want to say thank you. And I'm, I'm grateful personally. What, what maybe one or two pieces of advice, our community is young, they're trying to make money, they're trying to build their personal collection. Some of them are fathers who are collecting with their sons, just getting into the hobby. What, what few pieces of advice would you have for them? I'm going to approach this from a, from a community aspect and from a big picture aspect. I think one, one piece of advice is big picture, do everything with the, the greater good of the hobby in mind. Okay, so so when you do anything in the hobby, you have to consider the, the big picture impact that it's going to have. Okay, so we could come in and, and you know, an easy example is, is I could come in and I could scam somebody on Instagram and I can make a 500 bucks, but I'm hurting so many other people besides that person and I'm hurting the entire hobby. Okay, so, so how you act and, and, and how you approach everything you do in the hobby affects the entire hobby now and in the future. Um, so I think you have to be careful with that and you have to, you have to have that in mind um, when you approach everything. The greater good of the hobby is always the most important thing because if this thing collapses, a lot of us lose out on a lot of money. Um, this is my full-time thing. I support my entire family, my wife and my daughter with, with this income. Okay, so if I, if I screw over the hobby, for a couple hundred bucks, I screw over my whole family. Um, so, so I think that's that's a strong piece of advice that I always take to heart. Um, but the other piece of advice is it, it kind of piggybacks off of that. But be willing to help people. Um, it, it, it is for the greater good of the hobby. But everybody that's in a position where they have a lot of followers or they had a lot of influence, they were helped by other people when they got into the hobby. Um, I, I've been doing this for a few years 
I had people that I turned to, and I still turn to to this day, um, that helped me with, with various decisions in the hobby, and that's how I've gotten better. Um, Andrew, you, you yourself have helped me with, with different parts of the hobby, um, business advice. Um, you never know what kind of connections you can make in this hobby. So always be willing to help other people, um, especially when you don't get anything for it in return. I, I think it's, it's just a great life lesson, but it's also a great hobby lesson. Love it. Absolutely love it. Nick, this has been so much fun, man. I appreciate you. And Andrew, I want to say thank you to you because, you know, it, it, it's difficult for you to bring your A game when it's sunny out. I, I know. Mm. Um, you know, Normally, you know, love those thunderstorms. And the sun's out. I, I wasn't expecting to get a 10 performance from you today on this one. We got one, so thank you. Uh, Nick, anything you want to drop, you know, like um, all the info on, on consignment stuff, is it all on your website? You want to, you want to give the webpage again or, you know, give kind yeah. of like a 30 second, like that way people who are listening to this and, and are interested, because I personally am interested and you're going to get some cards from me hundred percent. But, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, kind of walk people through for 30 seconds, that would be good. Yeah. So the first, the, the easiest place to get information quickly is the website and that's www.thewarf, W-H-A-R-F, thewarfsportscards.com. Um, you can get consignment information on there. You can submit cards for consignment on there. Um, but if you ever have more questions about individual cards or sending stuff in or buying stuff, um, the easiest way to get a hold of me is my Instagram, and that is at the Warp Sports Cards. Um, just DM me on there. Like Andrew said, I try to be accessible, so I try to try to get back to people and answer whatever questions. Um, I want I want you guys to be comfortable uh, within the process and. Um, and then check out our story sales. Right now, they're every Monday and Wednesday, the Warp Story Sales. Um, we post cards all day with, with prices and comps and the cheapest available on eBay. So uh, all the information is there for you. There you go. We're going to do a little giveaway, okay? Ooh. So, I, I gave away, if you listen to the end, I gave away a Kobe card last week. Uh, same card, different image, but it's the same as a PSA 10 2016 Panini Hoops Kobe 2K17. Here's what you're going to do. Go follow the Wharf Sports Cards. Put it in your story. Tag three friends. Let us know you did. And we'll, do, we'll pick a giveaway and find someone to send this Kobe card out to. PSA 10 Kobe giveaway. I'm giving away, you know, little things here and there. You got the, you got the, you got the, you got the GOAT, the Mamba, PSA 10. Andrew does not mess around, folks. Hey, I'm, I'm hopping in this giveaway myself. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's been great having you on. And, you know, we hope the, the folks out there got some, some uh, you know, some useful information. The only thing I'll add on, guys, at the end, because we talked about some, you know, some high dollar cards, Mahomes, Prism, you name it. And we got some real great advice. It's a small community, you know, kind of do unto others type of uh, knowledge drop there, right? You know, be helpful. Um, what I'll say is collect what you love. Um, because if you do that, you're never going to get hurt no matter what happens with the market. You'll never see me buy a Tom Brady card because of the damn tuck rule, but it's just part of it. I will never love a Tom Brady rookie card, even if it goes up in value, but I'll buy what I love. Um, and that way, if it goes down 10 or 20%, it's still something that I wanted to have in my collection and I'm okay with it. So it's just one of those little old man, <laughs> old man, little tips for guys who would get into this collection. Um, but yeah, we loved having you on, man. And I'm definitely sending you some cards. Andrew, anything, anything, uh, anything final words from you? You want to give another plug to Andy Reid? Tell everyone how great he is, Hall of Famer? You give Cage an inch, he'll take a mile. That's, what I'll... <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's an Instagram poll for you right there. Where does Andy Reid rank all time? It's a good one. I don't think Andrew's going to like the results. <laughs> 
I like the results because the fact that people don't know makes me that much more confident. <laughs> we're so blind. People are so blind. It's crazy. Well, we're here to open their eyes, Andrew. That's what we're doing. Uh, like, honestly, truth. That's it. And well, another one. The storms are one thing. We, we're, we, this is like an hour, hour and change episode we're going to have here. And, and Nick, he didn't mention Tyler Hero once. That's People are going to love you. People are going to uh, love you. Here it goes. I played it. Oh, no. <laughs> People are sleeping on Hero. They don't get it. They're so confused. Oh, I did it. I'm sorry, everyone listening. Yeah, come on, Kate. We were almost there, man. We were almost there. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, guys, we thank you all for listening to this one. Uh, you know, our, our guest episodes have gotten some really great traction with our listeners. Uh, they are our most listened to stuff, and I'm sure it's going to – you know, uh, I'm sure it's going to carry through with uh, with Nick at the Wharf Sports Cards, and uh, check out his page. And thanks for listening, guys. I'm not good? recording. I'm just going to cut. Yeah, it's fun. Listen, that was awesome. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate you guys having me on, man. You guys are doing awesome. I love you guys' picks. I love what you guys are bringing to the to the community. So I was happy to jump on here, man. It was fun talking. Yeah, this is all Andrew. He keeps me in line. Andy Reid, it's coaching tree. Oh, okay. here we go. I told you. John oh, my, battery's, my battery's dying. Sean McCormick, <laughs> you can jump off at any time. Doug Peterson. <laughs> okay. Rob Rivera. Matt Nagy. Like, come on, dude. Steve Spagnola, dude. Cornell, Romeo Cornell in there. No, he might have been a Belichick. Here's guy. the thing. You, you tell me I have to pick one coach. One. I can only name one coach, the greatest coach, the one coach. I'm naming Andy Reid. If it's somebody I'm going to go have any wings with. Yeah, or, or hamburgers or, yeah, any type of competition with food. No, I mean, just, you know, Andy Reid, I, I want to I wanna eat wings, you know, and uh, he could be my teammate, yeah. sliders, you know, but. Nick, you could jump off. We're going to actually do our pick of the day. Cage stole my pick of the day, which is disappointing, but it's okay. All right, guys. Good luck. Thank you for having me on. I'm going to, I'm going to be listening to the episode for sure. Thanks, man. I'm probably going to send right. you a, a file before just so you could listen to it. I'm going to cut some yeah. things out to shorten it up. Uh, we'll post yours tomorrow, out, yeah. right? We'll probably post it tomorrow. So we get, you got some time. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Thank you. Andrew, I don't know if I can do uh, one now because I got a 3.30 call. You're good, man. So I don't know whether or not we can, you know, get a full like uh, tip in for tonight. But um, I should be done by four thirty. Are you free four thirty? Four thirty to five. I am. Uh, yes, I'll make it. Uh, four thirty to five. Oh yeah. shit! You know what? I'm not. Do uh, five o'clock is your Spanish, right? I might. I could skip Spanish today. Um. Yeah. I mean, listen. No, I'll work around you. It's not the end of the world. So four thirty, I'm supposed to have a meeting like my whole team on a WebEx. I don't know if it's gonna happen because uh, my boss is on vacation today, so I might be able to do four thirty. Um, you know what I will try to do is I will try to jump off at like I don't know four fifty and sign on here. That way you can still do your Spanish. You know what I mean? Like you know we could do a fifteen minute quick thing. I have a pick. Um, I mean I don't want to squeeze into eight minutes now, dude. That would suck. Um, this was good. This was good. I like it. Good, good, good guess. Good idea. It's good stuff. You see what's going on, by the way. Third quarter is about to end. It's one thirteen one oh one. One fourteen one oh one. Yeah. Third quarter. Unless it's time sensitive, I wouldn't worry about going on tangents because don't forget I could cut around it. And not only can I cut around it, like there might be some gold later on that we could use. Just yeah. I'm with you. I just didn't want, you know, I mean we were talking about it. Yeah, one fourteen one oh three. And there Sacramento's got the ball again. 
I will tell you, Zion looks fat, but when he gets the ball, he looks really good. He finishes at the rim, man. He really, he really does. How and do, how do you give up that many points? To and uh, what's his name? De'Aaron Fox got a new haircut. He's got like a shaved head. They just hit another three, so it's gonna be one seventeen, one hundred three at the end of the quarter. It's insanity. All right, listen. I will. I'll text you. I'll try to get before five. This way, we can actually do something, and you don't miss your Spanish. But this was good, man. Thank you. See you, brother. And before we say uh, goodbye on this episode, listen, interact with us, right? I mean, if you check out our Twitter feeds or our, our, or our, uh, our Insta feeds, you know, somebody says hello, somebody says I'm looking for this, I'm likely to just give it away for free. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.